What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Browner and Lawhead. I'm John Browner, as always, joined by the world traveler, my co-host, Jason Lawhead, right here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN, baby. We are full, full packed. We got a big show for you today. Lots of twists and turns on the NFL. There's a lots of twists and turns with basketball we'll get to during the week. There's some local things cooking and brewing with the the, the, the winter meetings here downtown at the Hyatt in San Diego, California, lovely Southern California. We'll get to some of that later in the week. But what we got today will absolutely fulfill our our cute little hour that we have here on the Mighty 290 ESPN. For all you guys who don't know, you can find everything we do here today on the in the iTunes store. And you can also find us on YouTube, which is where you'll be seeing our face currently if you're watching there under the Kaplan and Crew Great Friends Podcast Network. Jason, what's up, brother? How was your weekend? It was good, man. It was good. It was uh, filled with watching a lot of great sports, and uh, you happy know, to be wondering... back. Yeah, man, it's great to be back, and we are, we're in the Christmas cheer here. My wife and I put up the tree. Actually, it, it's in our office right here. So it's actually, if I could, I can't really maneuver everything, or it'll ruin my shot. But <laughs> put our nice tree up here to look out to the street in the upstairs window because we have a bigger spare room with just uh this setup and her little piano so we'll sit around the tree here up here uh at christmas yeah we made some cookies this week yeah all kinds of i had some rum and some eggnog drinks on saturday and uh yeah man things are good buddy how you doing you feeling better i am feeling a lot better dude i i thought i was really going to uh uh, suffer with what was going on with me. I had a little throat thing, man. I could barely talk today. We uh, had couldn't do uh, last Wednesday's show, but you owe this show something, and you haven't paid up, sir. And I, as the <laughs> arbiter of who is supposed to be paying around here, where the hell is our picture at this kitchen table? Oh, I gotta get that. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you make a note of that. And you, you, you remembered that. No, I'm gonna, gonna go get, I'm gonna leave through that. that. Yeah. I'm gonna leave through that at the commercial break. Get it texted over to you if yeah. you can't get it. If you can't get it imaged up um, before, well, it'll, it'll uh, go up tomorrow. Okay, okay, it'll go up tomorrow. And, so take your time. You know what? I'm gonna do a nice thing because can I send you video? A quick little like, yeah, whatever you because, want. We actually added something else to the repertoire that I'm even more proud of than the kitchen table. So I'm going to go take some Ooh. video after today's show, a quick little, you know, a little peruse in the kitchen and show you the whole setup. And uh, here, basically, this is a little sneak peek. You see this little guy here? The coffee cup? Mm-hmm. That seems pretty little, bro. It's espresso. Oh, you could oh. guess what? Guess what? I could make an espresso martini. Oh, okay. To. Sounds like so it's we time bought, for a we, visit. Oh yeah. So we bought an espresso machine and the grinder for the beans on a separate little like coffee station table too, and we put that together. So we've got the we got the new kitchen table with the like the little okay. farm style with the little bench, and then we got the little espresso uh, station coffee station. We got the grinder for the beans. We got the espresso make and yeah man i'm drinking i'm drinking double espressos now instead of just regular old coffee I love you, it. Said, you said something about christmas earlier that you guys are mm -hmm. in the christmas spirit you're making cookies yeah. and things of this nature don't worry folks this is what the show is if you haven't known <laughs> this is what we what's your what's your least favorite thing about christmas my least favorite thing about christmas is it's really the the like i guess expectations of you know the heightened part of it right um 
the, all of the presents, all of the things that you have to spend. You know, my my wife and I are pretty simple people. I came from a household that was, yeah, when we were kids, yeah, we got toys and stuff. But as we grew older, it was about the experience. It was about the tree. It was about the nights around Christmas, bacon, cooking, having this, having a great meal, exchanging a few gifts, but laughs, games, that kind of stuff. So I think I would say... That whole like, oh, everybody's got to get so much stuff and you got to be in the stores buying so much stuff and getting so much stuff. And, uh, you know, but that's part of it. There's not a lot I don't like about Christmas, um, obviously. I think here's the thing I hate the most, and I do it in my act. It's that that over-commercialized. I do this joke about like these people that who who are these people that get each other Mercedes for Christmas? You know, wake up on the what you wake up. I can't do the material here because there's a few things that the FCC wouldn't let me say. But um, the whole idea of like seriously, like, you, like oh, and, and like nobody's ever that impressed. They're always just like they look over. The wife always just looks at him like, oh, you shouldn't have. Like, what do you mean? I, like. Get out there and lick the tires. You know, that's a $75,000 drive with a ribbon on it right. that somehow I was able to get pulled up here overnight before you woke up. So, um, you know, those those kind of like over over the top stuff. But uh, and the length. I, I hate that we start doing it around Halloween. Earlier now. and earlier yeah, every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The message that that sends is a little kind of upsetting. But for the most part, man, I, I, it always gives me a feeling of gratitude and a feeling of uh, appreciation for all the things that we're lucky we have. Even the times you think you'll want a little more in life, you go, wow, man, you know? Um, So knock on wood, my parents healthy. My wife is with me. So many family and friends are still above ground and you just try to try to appreciate those things. And it makes me feel good. I I, I enjoy the month of December. To me, not so much. I'm a, no. I'm more of a I'm a jagged person, <laughs> and I gotta tell you, I think the one thing that I have always hated, and they go back to back, the idea of Christopher Columbus discovering America and and Thanksgiving being celebrated over that burned me up. Uh-huh. And then when you become a father and you have children, because obviously that's what oh, being a father God. is, you. <laughs> Bro, Santa Claus gets all your hard work. <laughs> I don't. Listen, yeah. My daughter said to me, Santa Claus is getting me this. And I'm yeah. like, well, why the hell you give me the list? Like, I, who, what? <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> no, no, what you get? Mail it somewhere. You gave me the list. So technically, I'm supposed to be Santa Claus, right? Okay. Because when you get these gifts, I've gotten into a, I'm divorced for people who don't know that. They do know that if you watch the show. <laughs> I got into a disagreement with mm-hmm. another person because I said to her, I'm going to tell her, ain't no such thing as Santa Claus. Because people work too hard for their money to just let some fictitious character take credit for all my hard work. So I know people say, oh, it's in the spirit of the season. No, man. One part about the spirit of the season is that you get to show your love and care for people by monetizing it and giving them something right. that they want. So therefore, I want all the credit. All of it. I ain't giving none of it away. <laughs> Daddy Claus. That's right. John Claus. Brown Claus. I ain't giving Brown-a-cla- Brown-a-claus. Brown-a-claus. That's, Brown-a-claus. The, that's the one. I ain't that, would, that would just be a great name 
for a black Santa. Listen, I ain't giving Santa credit for nothing, bro. Not a damn thing. Now, y'all want to tell a story about the sleigh and, and Rudolph? Knock yourself out the L's in the workshop. Y'all do that. Y'all do that. But he ain't buying iPads. All right? They, they don't make that. They only got wood stuff there. Okay? They don't. They, you can't get that here. So that's my that's the one thing I hate about Christmas as a father, that when my daughter yeah, learned who funny. Santa was, and I was like, he don't exist. And then I had to defend my, my idea of him not existing. So Yeah, I it was funny because when I was a kid, I was at that one age where you're kind of already like, you're kind of going, wait a minute, Santa's not real. I forget what that age is, nine, eight, nine, whatever it is, nine, ten. And I remember one Christmas, I was the youngest, I'm the, I'm the youngest of seven kids. I've got sisters. So they they by the time they were all older and they knew it wasn't Santa Claus, they were all, they were, Santa's helpers in a way, my parents, right, right. you know, like, so my sisters, my older sisters had the organized, they were organized. So they were part of the, the labor team, but I, <laughs> I walked in on the, you know, I don't know, week, couple weeks, whatever, however long it was before Christmas. And I, I saw my, I already had a hunch. Cause I'm like this handwriting from Santa in the last <laughs> couple of years. This looks, this looks very familiar, you know, not just because I've seen it last year. It looks familiar on like, you know, other everything things written on the bulletin board. Yeah, exactly. So then I walked in and one of my older sister, I saw her like, like writing like the tags on, on wrapped presents. And I was like, oh, that's how it, that was the like the, the, the nail in the coffin. I already had a, a lot of doubts, but that was the one where I was like, man, Mo, really? Yeah. Like, oh, you're not supposed to be in here. She's Get writing out. like from Santa, like to all, you know, from Santa. And then, they, you know, they would write it on for other kids too. So I believed that Santa was bringing my older present, you know, my mom and dad. So my, my mom and dad would get things from Santa. Right. And I was like, man, that's, that's like... Kathy and Moe's phone uh, handwriting on all this stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I, I just, I can't do it, man. I can't do it. I I, I don't want nobody taking credit for my hard work. Yeah. I, uh, uh, no, no. So, at that, and that leads me to <laughs> where we're going to start the show. I have a problem with anyone who has a problem with someone taking a different job. The idea that you cannot satisfy some people, regardless of how much you give them, is why you should always do what you think is best for you. And I'm giving you this example because of the way that Deion Sanders is receiving flack for taking a job at Colorado and leaving Jackson State after going undefeated for the season in the SWAC and winning a SWAC championship. Deion Sanders has given more to the SWAC and more to Jackson State than any individual complaining about Deion Sanders leaving the SWAC or leaving Jackson State. It's one of those things where all these social justice warriors on the internet want to tell people you're not black enough. When you got mm -hmm. people like Charles Barkley with a, with a scholarship foundation that gives to kid, black kids in Alabama, when you got people like Jalen Rose who started an academy for underprivileged kids in Detroit, people telling them they're not black enough. When they do more for young black people in this country than you do in a lifetime, they do it before you wake up in the morning. So for folks to be looking at Deion Sanders and saying somehow he pimped the system because he was in it for himself the whole time. Hey, do you not know how NFL coaching works? 
That's the job. Deion Sanders going to the University of Colorado is better for the black coaching profession. It's better for college football. And ultimately, it'll be better for the players because you have another play, you have another coach who is player first and is about winning and discipline more than anything. I like Deion Sanders. I think he's going to be great at Colorado. I also don't think he's going to be there for long because the second that FSUC gets hot, he's going to be on the first flight smoking. And I think they know that at Colorado too. So don't be naive enough to think that Deion Sanders and everything he did for the SWAC can't be done by somebody else. All he did was show you that it can be done. It's up to the people who work at Jackson State, and it's up to the SWAC at the conference to keep the ball rolling. Yeah, I mean, he never had to do any of this. And I think a lot of what he gets that kind of criticism looking at him through that lens is, here's the problem with a lot of uh, people's argument is, is deep down, uh, is they know he doesn't need any of this. Yes. He doesn't need any of this. He doesn't need a disgusting contract that ties the school up forever and and he doesn't need to take advantage of some multi-year, multi-million dollar deal. Um, and you're right. He left the blueprint. Like, go find somebody. Like, how about everybody go in with the intentions that Neon Dion has, which is uh, the, the, the athlete first, the student athlete first, putting that, um, you know, kind of expectation on everything right there. Like, saying... Here's where, here's what your whole, you know, responsibility is as a student athlete and as a teammate and as a locker room and as everybody. And I'm going to be your leader and I'm going to look out for you and I'm going to do all the things that I've learned, the rights and the wrongs. I'm going to try to show you what not to do from all the things I've seen from just not me, but all the guys I've played with in my career and all the things what to do and what's going to make you successful. And I'm going to try to show you the, the road bumps. And the and the roadblocks that are gonna that are gonna knock you off that path and and what to watch out for and I'm gonna take that to Colorado and yeah you're right there's there's either gonna be an NFL job or another big D1 job waiting but it's 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 everybody that's after him or around him to measure up so instead of the criticisms he's going to Colorado right um, he's done what he's supposed to do where he was like you said. You leave that imprint and you leave that school with the expectations to have to go find somebody that's just as committed. I mean, nobody's going to stay anywhere forever. Nobody's going to stay anywhere, you know, especially in this revolving door. And college football has, you know, the NCAA, uh, you know, all of these factors and factoids in that they've opened up the, the, the portal. They've allowed the coaches to go do this for many years before mm -hmm. this unpunished. Many more than him before this, the Chip Kellys, all the other types of, you know, coaches that have- Brian Kelly just did it last year. Yeah, and you know, there's been coaches for years, even before this, that have bailed on schools where the, the violations were coming and they get to go, you know, unscathed to another Urban school Meyer. and start over. Yeah, so, you know, now there's the transfer portal. Any of these kids can pick up and transfer at any moment they want, any time. So, you know, that's not unique to Dion. Dion still has to deal with that situation, right? There, there's guys that might want to jump in the portal that he doesn't want to jump in the portal. You can't blame him for something that's happening and that's already been, 
you know, uh, integrated. So if a lot of guys jump in the portal to go to Colorado and he says to other guys, look, time to jump in the portal because you ain't part of this experiment, I thought um, that then was, that's the way it is. I thought that was the funniest. Because <laughs> again, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a rigid person. I have a really weird sense of humor. I thought him going in that room and telling those kids, y'all not going to be here, so y'all might as well hop up in that portal, was the funniest thing. Like, these kids... It's got, honest, though. That's the problem. And, that's, and that is what's missing. It's pure honesty. It's what that's what's missing. Young people today, they need to look right in their face and tell them the bold truth, whether it's pretty, ugly, or the, however it comes out of the mouth. He, he didn't degrade anyone. Right. He, he just spoke said honest to young kids. He said, y'all ain't been good last year. We going to need better, so y'all got to go. I'm bringing some luggage, and whatever and dead weight is here, you better go. He said something in an interview four months ago, or maybe three months ago, that I, I wish every coach said out loud. He said, if your child is not coachable, I don't want them. Right. I don't want them. Nick Saban has said the same thing. Coaches with power can say this. But you will find a lot of them won't say it out loud. Deion Sanders tells parents up front, it's enough players out there. You're, I don't need that one. I'm going to find another one who's going to work exactly. hard and that's going to listen and get better with coaching while your son won't because they won't listen. And that's the essence of coaching. That's the essence of coaching. The personality that is Deion Sanders, I think this is a great opportunity for people to really see what a young, because he is relatively young in the coaching ranks, young, oh, yeah. smart, stylish black man can do for young, unled black men. Because I think this means a lot for that. Because if you look across the college landscape, right, look at how many coaches dominate the landscape. All white men. They're all white men. Sure. I, I, I can't personally offhand, and I, I hope you can think of one that's not. Saban, white guy. Uh, uh, my, Lincoln Riley, white guy. James Franklin's probably at the top of the food chain. James Franklin at Penn State, and Penn State is struggling. And yeah, and then and uh, uh, his Mel name's Tucker escaping at Michigan me. State. Yeah, there you go, Mel Tucker. But they Michigan State, now. but they they had a bad year this right. year, and so, you know the pressure's starting to dial up on him to recruit some, you know, some teams to get those back to nine wins. Right. So when you look at a guy like Deion Sanders, who utterly is screams celebrity. He's going to be the star. Ain't no player walking on that campus mm -mm. bigger than him. And I think that is what a lot of young, some of these young black athletes are looking for. They're looking for someone who looks like them to lead them. And I think white people, because I, I speak in direct terms because whatever, public school, they don't get it. They don't, they don't understand it. When you have a leader like that, young black men – and the parents, the single mothers who are raising these boys, will send their son to play for Dion. If the money's the same, they will send their son to play with Dion, and you're going to see a difference. I'm telling you, y'all going to see a difference, and we're going to come back to this day, and the same people who dogged him for leaving Jackson State going to be praising him for what he done in Colorado in two years. Yeah, and he's got that mindset of like, I know your child is your child, and they're still you're still an involved parent at this age, but 
I'm treating your child like the man that he is, whether you raised a man or not, <clears throat> whether you're sending me a man or not, he is a man. And yes, he's your child. And he's in that still 19, 20, 21 year old range that you still, you have a lot of involvement with and still look after because they're, they're, they're still at, at that opening their wings part of their life before you really kind of send them off. You know, there's that weird little, area that college years where the parent is still kind of a parent but they're they're the parent of a man or a woman <laughs> and he's right. he's getting right after it and saying look um whether you brought me a man or not i'm treating him like one you know fair unfair or otherwise in your eyes um and so you're right and then you make a good point that you know he brings a different kind of celebrity to the head coach yes. and you're right you know people have a problem with the way he walks through the door because of his his previous celebrity but none of these people have a problem when they create these god celebrities of these you. coaches of, of Dabo Sweeney and so when once these guys come through the door and you don't know who they are yet but then they go build a program within two years you're you're making them god okay, well, we got we got so much we got so okay. much more to go brown and lawhead might air tonight at espn we got a question for you come back who's better Brown and Lawhead back here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN. We are here Monday through Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., giving you guys sports, giving you guys fun, and also how I hate not being Santa Claus. We talked a lot on the show about Christmas because it started the Christmas season. We talked about Dion in Colorado, and we're going to get into the Chargers. We're going to get into the Chiefs. We're going to get into Deshaun Watson. I got, I got a question to, to, to pose to Jason about, uh, the 49ers quarterback situation, and another person who may be entering into some form of uh, conversation real soon. But Jason just got some news, some breaking news about the Ohio State wide receiver. And that person not, is not really the issue. The issue is what he has done. Jason, please inform the people. Well, yeah, and you know, Jackson Smith, I, I'm going to butcher his last name because I always do. <clears throat> but – uh Nigijiba, Nigiba, Nigiba. Ohio State wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. The other, the the one that's not Marvin Harrison Jr., um, <laughs> who's an All American. He's going to be one of the top wide receivers selected. He'll probably be a top 10, 12 pick. Most people play say he broke the, the Big Ten receiving record last year. He's had a hamstring injury that's nagged him most of the year. He's been in. He's been out. He sat against Michigan, which I think. You know, not making any excuses. Michigan was the better football team. They were the way better coached football team. They were the, the more prepared football team. And I, but I do believe that his absence hurt Ohio State more than the, the absence of the running back for Michigan in that particular game. And now it really just kind of soul crushes them because it really is the definition of their offenses. Those two wideouts, uh, uh, you know, out out in space with Stroud. Uh, being able to, you know, if one or two of them get picked up in double coverage, being able to feed the ball all over the field and hit hit the big play with those guys. So, you know, it limits their chances against Georgia big time for what they do offensively. If they are going to upset a team, if Ohio State is going to be the underdog on the field, they need all hands on deck, especially against a Georgia defense like this. So, you know, it's he's decided, hey, you know, probably healthy enough come come time for the college football playoff. But. Uh, it's an interesting, you know, dynamic that he's going to sit out the college football. This isn't just a Rose Bowl for nothing. This is a college football playoff for all the marbles. And he's going to say, look, the draft's more important. And that's a blow to Ohio State right now, that news today. I got to tell you, man, I hate the sound of that. I really do hate the sound of that because that sounds like a kid who doesn't get it. 
Now, if you are not in the and if you're not in the CFP, and you choose to not play, that I 100% understand because that game right. is literally meaningless. Right. For you, as a first, a potential first round draft pick, the last time they see you, if the last time they see you is you dominating on the college field, winning a national championship because you're out there, that rises your draft stock. Mm-hmm. This idea that oh, because I'm not gonna play, that's gonna make me more. That's gonna make me jump out more. No, it's not. No, unless the injury can be re-injured, and it can cause you to miss the year. Okay, now that's a different conversation. But if there's a chance of you being healthy enough to play, then you getting ready for the combine does what? So you can run a good forty time. I got it. Listen, that don't really mean sure. a lot. They don't. They don't. That makes waves when linemen do it. That makes waves when cornerbacks do it. It. If you're a wide receiver, unless you got Tyreek Hillsby, which this kid does not, it, it, yeah. put put the film on tape. Put the film out there. Every player that shoots up the draft board because of those workouts, wash out. They all do. None of them. None of them show up in the NFL because you don't put the. If you don't got the tape to go with the workout, it's meaningless. So it's it's funny that you say that about this kid, and I'm like, oh, see. That's a death nail because if for me, I'm going full GM meathead. I'm not taking that kid. If I need a well, wide it, receiver, I'm not taking him because I know I know he'll quit when he thinks it's best for him. And his direct quote for, you know, basically his, his direct quote for this is, I'm going to have an even bigger impact in the NFL than when I played at Ohio State. I'm a playmaker who helps my team win and has nothing and nothing has changed. That's interesting. Who helps my team win and nothing has changed, but he's not going to play in the game. My game, both physically and mentally, has only improved. The NFL is going to be a better version of me, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to show everyone that I am still a number one wide receiver. Well, you know, I yeah, I, I think that quote kind of contradicts the decision right. a little bit, in my right. opinion, if you were to say, and I know he's saying the NFL will be a better version of me and I'm all going to be this number one wide receiver. Well, go out there, you know, um, you know, let, practice light for these couple of weeks, maybe get, you know, um, a, a feeling back in some reps as the game gets closer and at least put, put the jersey on for for your team and say, Hey coach, man, if you're in some third downs, you know, the leg, the hamstring feels good enough for me to get out there on Decoy. some third and longs or some decoys, or maybe even, you know, draw a, a top defender so we can go the other way on a run, run route or something. Um, and, and I think that would even go a longer way. Like you said, than a combine for a guy, we already know what you can do. We saw last year, we saw the big 10 record. We know when your hamstrings not, uh, you know, half, half a percent or 60%, what kind of player you are. So, uh, but it would go a long way. But sadly, as an Ohio State fan and a guy that, uh, you know, is, is still kind of dr- jaw dropped from that Michigan loss oh. and, and still kind of dazed on the fact that we were lucky enough to to find our way in because of of, of USC and, 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 and that whole situation that um, I think a lot of it might have to do. And, I, and you know, I'd rather I'd, I'd like to know I'd love to get him in a corner with off the record and say, hey, does this have anything to do with Ryan Day? Does this have anything just due to do in the belief that, you know what, dude, I, you know, after set, after the Michigan game, after some games that we kind of, you know, Houdini'd our way out of throughout the year, you know, I, I'm not going out there, you know, and, and maybe there's a lack of respect for Ryan Day in some of that. Maybe some of it's selfish. I'd like to know off the record if there's anything there, but 
Um, Ohio State needs him. They need everybody. They need they need him, and they need a couple of Georgia guys to go down. I think we we, um, will, we will give you guys so yeah. much more coverage. We'll go a little bit more, a lot more in depth later in the week with what's going on with the Final Four because we feel like that's a topic that we absolutely will have to uh, uh, really get our hands dirty with. Mm-hmm. The 49ers, because we're going to keep it West Coast, the 49ers have basically found their stride. They lose, they're on, they, they've lost three quarterbacks now. They've lost it. They lost a rookie who wasn't going to play, or a second year guy who wasn't going to play. They lost, obviously, the guy who they gave up the world to get. And, uh, 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 what's, oh, what's his name? Anyway, y'all know who he is. And now Jimmy Garoppolo goes down. Trey Lance. Trey Lance. And now Jimmy Garoppolo goes down. And now some dude named Brock something or whatnot comes in and they still win the game. Have no fear. I have a question for you, Jason. Mm -hmm. There are two guys who are now, as of today, free agents. Which one will have a better, a bigger impact if, if, Baker lands on the San Francisco 49ers. Will he have a bigger impact on the team that he lands on, if it's the 49ers, or will OBJ have a bigger impact if he lands, let's say, in the Cowboys? Well, I think OBJ. I think deep down, I you know, the 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 49ers went out and signed Josh Johnson right away off of uh, somebody somebody's practice squad. 12-year guy, he's been with a lot of teams, had to go in there, kind of a Jacoby Brissett the type local of guy player. Too. He's a local guy. Local guy's played with the 49ers, I think, on two or three different occasions before in his journey through being signed as, you know, as the workable backup to run right in there and a guy that can understand a, a, a playbook pretty easily and at least go out there and, and give you some plays. So uh, I think they're going with him as the backup. I think they're going to hope Brock Purdy can – just man the ship from, you know, knowing the playbook, knowing the offense, letting the defense still be the reason why they win football games and just, mm-hmm. you know, hand that ball off and don't fumble it and don't throw it away. And as long as you don't do those two things, you don't have to be any, any, you know, any thing compared to anybody else, even in our division, you know, um, as far as quarterbacks, just do your job. I think Baker Mayfield would, would put too much, attention on whatever they're trying to do and accomplish. I think they already went through that wave with the Jimmy G situation over the summer, you know, making him the backup and then having to kind of massage him back into the starting role when everything got, you know, went wrong and and got hurt with Lance. And then boy, they were in in great shape quick after like the first week when Garoppolo was a little shaky, but everything just, you know, meshed. Well, I don't think they want to ruin that with all the the hype that a Baker Mayfield brings in. I don't think they believe that he's good enough to make a change. But um I think that I still think they're really really good in an NFC that's thin and Very thin. Uh, you know, they've got the luxury of yeah, Geno Smith's playing well. Yeah, Seattle just keeps, you know, keeping their head way above water than anybody thinks, but I st- and maybe Geno Smith right now is currently the best quarterback in that division and that suits Seattle going down the stretch. They feel good about that, but I still think San Francisco is heads and shoulders above the better best football team in that division. And I think that defense will eventually, you know, come to fruition for them. So they've still got things to, to play for um, and hope Purdy can do what he can do. But I think OBJ on the, you know, is going to have the more, 
whatever he ends up, if it's Dallas or wherever, he's going to be the bigger impact. And it and it could be a negative impact. You never know. Yeah. I, think, I think Baker Mayfield's days may be over. I think that I don't know who, where, like, where does he fit and who, you know, because, you know, is is he the kind of attention you want to bring in as a backup? He's not going to be a guy you're bringing in as a starter to try to no. save a season. Look around. who Who's going to, who needs a season kind of, saved right now that would take a baker mayfield you know the bears love their situation at quarterback even though and, and actually we talked about this earlier blessing in disguise that they lose all these games where fields gets better in right because now they've got money to spend to go get some offensive line, draft and the second offensive pick line. in the draft second pick in the draft they got money to spend at the offensive line they now all the the great thing about the bears is the they lose all these games with fields getting better and they can see all their other needs in these losses. Right. And you know, a team like Pittsburgh, yeah, they're, they're down, but they're, they're winning some game. Kenny Pickett is their guy. They know he's their guy. So, Mm -hmm. so many teams that are, uh, you know, don't have the records that you might think, well, they still, they believe they may have their quarterback of the future or he's on that team. And I just don't think Baker, I don't think Baker Mayfield's going to find a job this year and he's going to have a hard time finding one next year. I, I got to tell you, man, I'm not – I'm sorry about that sound. I don't know what the yeah. hell is going on with my computer. Uh, I don't know what's going on with that. I just thought that would be a good question to pose. I'm yeah. Also, I'm also at a loss for words. As for what's happening to the Chargers, man, I got – I just got to be very straightforward. Staley's lost me. Yeah. They don't look prepared. They don't look like they have any real schematic advantage – they don't really look to appear to – for a defensive guy, your defense, can't, your defense cannot be the worst thing about the team. That's something that the Chicago Bears have that I'm like, okay, I get it. Offensively, we weren't supposed to be good. Justin Fields finally finds his way. He can put points on the board with whatever you give him on the, on the offensive end. Okay. But the defense – the Bears have the worst pass rush I've seen in my lifetime for the Chicago Bears. And it appears to be the same way for the Chargers. If this guy is supposed to be one of these young brainchilds, how come every year the defense is getting worse, even though every year you get a better player to help sure up the defense? Like, we're the Chargers are reaching a point where now in about, I think it's two years, they're going to have to pay Justin Herbert. And he's going to be the highest paid quarterback in the history of football whenever his turn comes. But yesterday, there's no reason why. He outplays David Carr. But you get 35 yards rushing. You get your best receiver in Keenan Allen gives you six catches for 88 yards. Devontae Adams, a better player by all means. Eight catches, 177 yards, two touchdowns, 22 yards a catch. Not to mention Josh Jacobs, 26 carries for 144 yards. I don't, I don't, this is a schematic situation. Mm -hmm. This is a coaching situation. This isn't a talent situation. And all these people who keep telling you that they're going to get the Saints old coach to come and be the Chargers coach, bro, that ain't the answer. That ain't the answer. He ain't the answer. He won the answer when he was with the Saints. John yeah. Payton was with the Saints for almost 20 years. They had one Super Bowl. He ain't the answer either. So I, I, I'm i watching them, and I think Justin Herbert's a top-five quarterback. 
I can't keep watching that. That ain't good. That ain't where it's at, player. He got it, it's time for him to go. It's time for him to go. Period. Wouldn't you think that Peyton's the best fit, though? At least, you know, I know you can sit there and say, well, you know, all those years he did get to the Super Bowl. He got did he get to two or he just got to the one and won it? Got to the um, one and won it. And, you know, they were a playoff perennial, perennial, perennial playoff team. And he did, you know, have one of the best coach quarterback relationships of all you time know, that we've ever seen in football when you look at the success and the numbers. So, I mean, if you're going to have Justin Herbert and you're going to be paying, like you said, through the roof, maybe the biggest contract in the history of football when it when it's his turn, where do you go? Like, where? Because you can't waste that time on Staley. Obviously, you're looking at this going. I mean, they're upside down. The Chargers are six and six, and so they're upside down in point differential. Do you know that the Carolina Panthers, the Atlanta Falcons, and the New Orleans Saints, all three of those teams have are are have are better in point differential at their records than a six and six Charger team? Like you said. This is a defensive guy. That means the defense is giving up points. Because even yes. in six wins, six wins with the offense that you have, you're still underwater in point differential. It's not like you're four and seven, like the, the like the Saints, who still have a better point differential. It's not like you're four and eight, like you know the Panthers, who still have a point better point differential. You're six and six with a <clears throat> future Hall of Fame quarterback. Yes. And weapons that can score points, you shouldn't be underwater. So that that's telling about your defense. And I I I totally agree with you. That was a schematic loss, mm-hmm. um, and a few of their losses have been that way. And he's lucky that they got away with a few other wins that they could have given away. That Browns game. There's been a couple other games where you sit there and go, you know, you're lucky you won that game. You're you know you're lucky you came away with a win. And there's a couple games where you you know they lost to the Chiefs or whatever. You sit there and you go, hey, you played great, got it down to the wire. You still lost though. So this, they beat the Cardinals by a point, 25-24. They beat the Falcons at the last second with a field goal, which they shouldn't have won that game either, by the way, 2017. The Broncos are, quite frankly, one of the worst dumpster fires I've seen in a short span in a long time. They beat them 19-16. to 16. They Browns miss – they go for it on fourth to give the Browns a – Browns miss a game-winning field goal to beat the Browns 30-28. to 28. And so – in the first game of the year they won against the Raiders came down to a lot, uh, I think the last couple of possessions mm-hmm. where they yeah. won 24 19. So th- this season schematically the best games they played are probably the two losses against Kansas City. The two three point right. losses against Kansas City. So the he, idea that this guy is head coach material, it's just it's it's wrong. It, he's Nathaniel Hackett with less of a dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. Nathaniel Hackett is a dumpster fire as a head coach. Staley is equally the dumpster fire. It's just not burning as high. Like the dumpster fire in Denver, you can see it from a mile. This, you got to get up on it to see it. But this is bad too. This is bad too, man. He just, he doesn't have that locker room. Mm -mm. He clearly doesn't know the direction to take this defense. And because of that, a really good defense that did have some injuries, but you can't cause injuries and you can't use injuries as an excuse in the NFL. He just hasn't been able to scheme these guys into a point where they can be successful. And I hope that the front office knows what to do with that now. Yeah, I mean, they've lost four of six. They've got Miami next. They've got Tennessee next, both at home. But home, they, they don't really feel a home field advantage at all. So both are at home. Miami, these teams aren't afraid to come into SoFi to play 
the Chargers. There isn't anything that's like, oh my gosh, when we go to SoFi, no, when we go to SoFi, we're going to have right. one of our fans there. It's going to be great. We're going to be in LA. It's going to be warm weather. It's going to be nice. It'll either be Miami. our fans there or no fans there. Yeah, or just, yeah, exactly. It's not, there's not going to be some, you know, hostile environment you're going into. It's very, it's a very easy environment, but they've got Miami and Tennessee. Tennessee's playing a, a little rough lately, but um they're still a division leader they're gonna win their division by by pretty much all intents and purposes and you know um miami now they end with indy the rams and denver those are three wins if they you know you know depending on what happens the next two weeks if staley doesn't win those last three going out i don't care where he feels the locker room is i don't care if there are two more losses in the hole and they're six and eight if he if he can't beat jeff saturday that rams team (laughs) and nathaniel hackett for three straight in the last three, I don't care what their record is at that time, you got to say, see ya, guy. Because it's going to cost them the playoff, any chance of a wild card. And you're sitting here going, I mean, these are three terrible football teams we have on our schedule at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Three terrible football teams with two terrible coaches. And if you, like you said, if you can't find your way to wins in all three of those games, if you're asking me, all three. Not. I don't care what you do against Miami and Tennessee. That's fine. Well, whatever right. the result is, those three. I don't care where your team is at mentally. If you can't beat those three teams, then you've been out coached, outplayed, outclassed, and you're out. <laughs> Even if you still win those three teams, you still get nine wins, and I think nine wins will get you in because I don't believe in the Jets, and the Jets are the only team you're going to have to jump over because I think the Jets and the and the Patriots still have to play each other, and mm-hmm. I think the, I think the Patriots don't have the firepower to keep up. And I really right. don't, and I really don't think the Jets have the quarterback to keep up. So at the end of the day, you're going to look up, and there, the the opportunity is going to be there. The field's going to be open. The question is, will they be able to get in that window? And I'm telling you right now, they better. Because if they don't win, if they don't go, if they don't beat those three teams, there's no reason to retain this man because he's now wasted two years and two rookie contract years of one of the best quarterbacks coming. But we'll have more y'all for y'all tomorrow. John Browner, Jason Lawhead, Brown and Lawhead on the Mighty Air 1090 ESPN. Peace. Peace.